0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and welcome to the first episode of Rift University, a College League of Legends podcast from CESN. I'm your host, Milmod. I'm excited to dive into the world of College League. It's an exciting time to be involved. If you've been following it, you know that. And if this is your first time following it, then you know I hope that you enjoy what we're about to talk about. Just a bit about the formatting of the show and what to expect, because this is the first episode. It's going to be a pretty informal, good, casual take To accompany some of CESN's other content, we'll start with one episode per week, about 15 to 20 minutes long, where we'll do either a monologue episode sort of like this, with one host talking about what's happening that week in college league. We'll do interviews with players, coaches, admins, others involved within that realm of college league, as well as discussion-based, roundtable, kind of sports desk-like format, and we'll answer listener questions from time to time as well. During the show, we'll take a look at CESN's original content, as well as content from around the web. So if there's anything that you'd like to hear about you want us to cover please let us know. As the show grows and evolves, that audience input and that audience feedback is, is going to be very important to us. This is something I'm excited about. I've looked forward to doing it for a long time, so I'm excited to jump right in. And we have a lot to cover now that the finals have come and gone. The national championship is come and gone. and We have a national champion in Maryville University. This is the second national championship for the Saints, having first one in 2017. In 2018, They entered the tournament as the favorite, but were upset by Illinois in the quarterfinals. This year, they got their revenge on Illinois in the semifinals before going on to take the championship against Western Ontario. Western Ontario had their own great run both last year and this year. Last year emerging as a surprise quarterfinalist, and this year coming up first in the quarterfinals against Michigan State, which is a team that dealt Columbia College, one of the other favorite teams for this tournament a big loss in round two of the championship play-ins which set Columbia up to face UC Irvine in the quarterfinals match UC Irvine being another one of the favorited teams going into this tournament so coming up against Michigan State formidable, formidable opponent they were able to defeat them and then they went on to face UC Irvine who had just knocked out Columbia in the quarterfinals as well UC Irvine was going to be a tough match for anybody, UC Irvine was viewed as one of the best teams. Western's bot laner, Short Hop, said it after they won that, quote, we knew if we didn't play it over 110%, we didn't stand a chance. And they did. Uh, they embraced their underdog status, were able to come in, go for comfort picks. But you know it was a little bit shaky. They were down going into game four. Everything was on the line. UC Irvine was up 2-1 to one going into Game 4. And then Western was even down 2 in Hibbs in Game 4. But they were able to flip that game, come back, take that win, and then kind of steamroll UCI in Game 5. It really seemed like they crumbled under the pressure. Uh, so they, had, while they had everything to play for, everything on the line, they were able to deliver. The question was if they could do it again going into the Finals. It really didn't go that same way. In the Finals, Maryville really came out very dominantly and was able to be in control of the game almost from the start in all three. Game two, Western had a little bit better of a start, but all in all, Maryville really kind of took it the whole way. Uh, game three, Western also had had a decent start, manage, managing to keep a lead for about the first you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of that game. But if you watch the series, go back and watch it, definitely recommend it. You can see how Maryville Jungler CKG, who was the finals awarded finals MVP, really was able to help open up that map for Maryville to be able to roam, to be able to apply pressure where it needed to be and when it needed to be. Rather than doing really prioritizing typical jungle camp rotations, he spent his time making sure that. They were winning lane, helping out his laners, making sure they were winning lane, pushing lane, getting that kind of lane dominance, and then making sure that he knew where Julius, which was Western's jungler, was at all times. So if Julius was going to go gank somewhere or apply pressure somewhere, that he was able to either stop that, counter gank, go apply pressure of his own with a gank somewhere else to make sure that. You know, Western's attention was going to be split. That Maryville could put pressure where it needed to be, be in control of the tempo and the pace of the game, and that really was a big part of what allowed Maryville to win. Just kind of being macro outplayed by in the jungle, which you know was was this excellent play. Definitely recommend going back and watching it. We caught up with Maryville's coach, Zoo, who came on as head coach for Maryville in March after kind of a rougher midseason for the team. Really helped turn the team around. Uh, Marysville top lander Niles said this during one of the interviews at the championship. And uh, if you followed along during the regular season, you saw this. He said the team, quote, was in a huge slump. They were dropping games of teams that didn't make the playoffs, which is not something they wanted to do going into the postseason. Um, and I know that I saw this at Columbia's former coach was uh, pushing that Maryville was very overrated, and you can see that Zoo even retweeted some of uh, some of his uh, tweets there, which was very interesting, very funny, I thought. But after their win, after their championship win, during their ish uh, interview with Avili, who was doing the post-match interviews, I thought it was clear that Zoo had a different approach to coaching. It really, I thought traditional, mirrored traditional sports and that's what he confirmed in, in in our interview. He wanted to take a group of individuals in Maryville, people with very high mes- mechanical skill and game knowledge. They're very good, a lot of experience, solo queue, very good dominant on their own. But he wanted to turn each individual into a unit. And he had said, quote, my outlook on being a team is having a pack mentality, doing everything for each other. So he wanted to bolster that individual skill with, the the mindset of a team and then really focus and hammer in those solid fundamentals and situational awareness and that execution as a unit and i think that is absolutely what came through while watching that finals match definitely that's what ckg was providing that's what they were all working as a team to find their win conditions and be able to execute those win conditions through whichever player was in the right position at the right time. And I thought that was very, very well done. And there's no doubt now that it paid off. You can check out the rest of the interview on our website at cesn.gg. It's right up there. I'll post it in the show notes as well. But to take it back a little bit, kind of toward the beginning of the season, when the ESPN coaches poll came out, really want to kind of look at that coaches poll to the season results. That got a lot of uh, hype kind of during the beginning of the season. I won't go too much into critiquing the model of the poll, though I think there are flaws in it. With a lack of really kind of historical data and comparative methods, especially between the different conferences, the different regional conferences that Riot administers, it's hard to judge these teams. And then you have your external conferences as well, like the Big Ten Network, Mountain West. It gets harder to judge these teams across those different divisions of conferences. Also, not all of the games are streamed, so it can be difficult to know exactly kind of how a match went uh, when the score lines on Battlefy don't always do it justice. But, you know, this is a nascent league. We work with what we have. We can, we can be lucky that we have Battlefy to be able to go back and look at, you know, KDAs and things like that to look at gold differential to be able to put together a full picture of what happened, or at least as full as we can. So hopefully going forward, there'll be more stream games, more access to data. But so going into this, take it with a grain of salt, uh, maybe a little more than a grain of salt. There's the one interesting thing I'll mention is in week nines, ESPN coaches poll Villanova was 22nd on the coaches poll um, coming from the big East conference. They ended up going to the play-in group stage, going one and six. So they didn't have a great play-in group stage, but yet they were um, ranked 22nd by coaches you know, in the coaches' poll in week nine, which was the end of the regular season. So we'll go back. So just keep that in mind when we're going through it. We'll go back to week one where you have the top five that were pretty standard. Irvine, Maryville, Columbia, Harrisburg, Western Ontario – I was a little surprised how low Illinois was ranked. They were at number 12, even after knocking out Maryville last year in the quarterfinals. You had UT Dallas at number eight, McMaster up in Canada at 11, Michigan State all the way down at 17. Things were kind of all over the place in the middle of the pack there. But week nine, you see the top fours, Columbia, Maryville, Irvine, Western, Illinois was up to number five, Waterloo at six, UT Austin seven, Harrisburg was eight. So two national championship qualifiers, uh, and Michigan State and NC State, who made their way through the play-in, were number 9 and 10. You had two teams that played very well, definitely play-in-level teams uh, throughout the season, in Stony Brook and Miami of Ohio, Miami University, Ohio. Uh, they were number 11 and 12 at the ninth week coaches poll. They really kind of shot up there. They definitely had what it takes to play in the play-in, but both the North Conference for Miami and the East Conference for Stony Brook. They're pretty stacked conferences with a lot of great teams in Columbia, Maryville, Harrisburg, Western Ontario. Those teams are you know in the North and East regions, so that makes it to Waterloo. That makes it tough for them. Uh, but I think next year, definitely want to look out for those. Excited to watch them following their roster moves in the offseason and what they're going to do to get ready going into next year. Two to watch for sure in uh, that final poll, UT Dallas had fallen all the way down to a tie for number twenty, which is interesting. I think we'll see all of this solidify next year as they figure out, you know, why some teams that were viewed to be higher uh, fell all the way down, and why teams that were lower were missed and overlooked what all went into that it could have been that the roster for a certain team last year was great they played very well looked good thought they'd be a contender this year maybe some roster changes were missed or maybe people were just mistaken or just didn't have enough information I think that's kind of the the danger or the sorry the larger issue in all of this is that there's not enough information a lot of times to make some of these calls so you really are going on just a little bit but overall, just to look at how it's stacked up with the results of the national championship, we'll kind of compare week one and week nine with the national championship results and the teams that moved on from the group stage of the play-ins. And the reason I look at the group stage of the play-ins is because there were other conferences like the Peach Belt and East Coast Conference. They run their own seasons, but feed into the larger system at the play-in stage. So that puts a lot of weaker teams into the play-in group stage. But by that time that they've played through that round, the teams that go on to the elimination stage of the play-ins are usually the better teams, so that's where we want to look. The bracket stage, we had the four these four teams, UT Austin, so Texas, San Jose State, NC State, and Columbia College. Columbia and NC State moved on. So that means that you know UT Austin and San Jose round out the top ten teams by finish in the national championship. So we'll put the final standings at Maryville 1st, Western 2nd, UC Irvine in Illinois 3-4, Columbia, Michigan, NC State, and Waterloo 5-6-7-8, UT Austin and San Jose State at 9-10. And you know, because it was the quarterfinals or the semifinals, you know, whichever way you want to order, it doesn't really matter. That's just kind of how it breaks down. The last ESPN coaches poll for week nine was in this order: Columbia, Maryville, Irvine, Harrisburg, Illinois, Waterloo, Stony Brook, Western Arizona State, and University of British Columbia. So you can see Western outperformed expectations, uh, going in at you know number eight in the coaches' poll, but having a second place finish, which was just which was great, definitely not expected. Had a great run there. Stony Brook, Arizona State, British Columbia didn't even make the play-ins, um, which is unfortunate because Pomona. Who knocked Arizona out from being in the play-ins didn't actually even end up playing in the play-ins, so that kind of knocked them out, and then they didn't play. So that just kind of was a dead a dead slot there. Um, but interestingly enough, in the final week nine coaches bowl, North Carolina State, NC State, didn't even reach the top twenty-five uh, of all the teams in the coaches bowl, and Michigan State was number sixteen. So you know you had those two teams that made the play-ins didn't really even register on the radar for people and being in that top eight. So that was really interesting. Within the top eight teams, I think you're going to see in general the teams are pretty set, you know, th- almost throughout the year, especially in the top five really. Within five, th- one through five, one through three, and then again in six to 10, it's really just the ordering that is up for debate. I think next year we'll see Miami of Ohio, Stony Brook kind of solidify in that 10 range, you know, unless some things change. Harrisburg might drop down depending on their recruiting class. Uh, they did bring on X Special as the head coach. He had been coaching remotely, but he's moving, relocated to Harrisburg to coach full time there. So that could really be a lot of momentum for the team going into this year. We'll see what they're what they're gonna do. The East was kind of tough this year with Western who came up against uh who came up against Harrisburg in the East Playoff semifinals, Harrisburg lost to them, Western won 3-1, to one, so that's what knocked Harrisburg out of it, even though they had a good team, they just came up against a very good team in Western. Then you had Stony Brook and Waterloo in there as well, so there's a bit of depth in the East, I think that you have a lot of depth in the East, and you have depth in the North um, really looking good. I think you're going to see the Big Ten is going to kind of emerge as another great conference next year with Michigan State and Illinois obviously doing very well this year. Um, No Illinois in week one. In the week one ESPN coaches, boy, that was a little bit surprising. They were at number 12, so no Illinois in the top 10, that is. I think next year we'll see Illinois and Michigan State stay closer up to the top. Again, everything can change with rosters, graduations, transfers, new recruits. So it can shake up some teams. Very excited to dive into that in future episodes. But we'll see a lot of teams, I think, step it up next season, Especially with, I don't know if you, you've probably seen this, Riot announced the Riot Scholastic Association of America, the RSAA, which will serve as a governing body for League of Legends competition at the college and high school level. So they'll look at things like eligibility requirements for players, rules for teams, in a more formalized way than college league as it, prior as it had existed so it'll be interesting to see what they do there. They announced this after the NCAA bowed out of getting involved with esports at all, which I think is a good thing overall for the scene. The issue I see with this, and it's manageable probably, is if probably when more publishers get involved, how will teams navigate a maze of differing rules that can shift independently from another year to year? could be difficult for some smaller organizations early on, especially with you know one game could have this set of rules for eligibility. One team could have or one game could have this set, could change at any time. It's different. It's probably more confusing than in traditional athletics where there's one organization over all of it. Um, but bringing it back to Riot's organization of College League, one of the things I'd like to see them do, and I think would be good for both the fan experience as well as the player experience and the overall growth of the game at the college level is to take a look at breaking the teams into divisions based on relative ability level, which would allow for, number one, broadcasting of more matches of top teams. So that gives fans a base pool of teams to follow and us you know, at CESN, a pool of teams to cover. Good teams will play each other. Teams at equal skill levels will play each other. Relatively equal skill levels will play each other throughout the season. So, then I think it's better for the game and the development of the scene and the fan base if teams with approximately equal skill played or, you know, skills within a certain range. Even if that means you take the top 128 teams based on average MMR, lump them together. And I get that there'd still be a wide gulf between the top and the bottom. That would be a start to making, to evening the playing field and giving, you know, a more competitive flavor to much of the season, especially at the beginning and going into the end. It'd be nice if teams played each other more than once um, before meeting in the playoffs or the finals. I think that could be an interesting aspect of it all. There's a lot to do there, kind of bring it closer to something like NCAA basketball, where there's a lot of games. Teams play each other multiple times. You have a bracket that's the exciting part of the season. Um, and I think that that kind of format would really allow coaching and team strategy and synergy to factor in a lot. You can adjust over the course of the season. You're playing teams that are good that you have a realistic possibility of losing to, so you have to bring your A game. Uh, but it would still be a big enough pool of teams where you could have a Cinderella run, great underdog stories, all of that you could do it to where every year the x number of teams at the bottom would fall to a division 2 and the x number of teams at the top of division 2 would rise to division 1 but overall it gives a more playing field it gives a more even playing field to teams at the top and teams at the bottom i'm sure a competitive season would be more enjoyable for players too making sure that they if they're at a less developed or or less um, capable team that they're not just coming up against you know you see Irvine in the first week, and then they're losing, and then they're playing. You know, it would make it more enjoyable for them, make it more competitive across the board throughout the season. Um, going along with that, they may want to look at scheduling matches ahead of time rather than doing a Swiss-format regular season. I'm not sure if the league's developed enough for that yet, especially if they're not doing this division separation. But a set schedule would be a benefit from a fan perspective. Being able to know, okay, this team's playing this this week. This team's playing this one that week. That would be great. We'll have to see what they're going to do. But overall, I'm excited for next season. I think that they're on the path, Riot's on the path to making a lot of great changes for the fan, for the players, for the teams, for us covering all of that. I'm definitely excited, and we're going to be there to cover it all. I really could go on about this all day, but that's going to be a wrap for this episode. Thank you again for joining me on Rift U. I'm already looking forward to the next one. You can follow me on Twitter, at Milmod. You can follow CESN on Twitter, at CESNGG, and on Instagram, at CESNGG. You can check out all of our content on our website, CESN.GG. And if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe, share, tell all of your friends about it, review it. We'd love to get your feedback. You can reach out with any comments to us at contact at cesn.gg. Any comments, email at contact at cesn.gg. Thanks. Catch you next time.